Support for When Dating Hurts comes from Liquid IV Sugar-Free. What do I like most about Liquid IV? Maybe it's how they make everyday hydration easier than ever. One convenient stick of Liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster than water alone. Or maybe it's the new sugar-free flavors like white peach, green grape, and lemon-lime. Or it could be Liquid IV has three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, plus eight vitamins and nutrients for everyday wellness. Liquid IV, sugar-free, has no artificial sweeteners and zero sugar, so you get a nice sweet taste without the calories or raised glucose levels from sugar. Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier is a non-GMO electrolyte drink mix that utilizes the science of cellular transport technology to deliver water and key nutrients into your body faster and more efficiently than water alone. That way, whether you're playing a sport, doing Zumba, or you're just making your way through another day at work or at home, you stay hydrated more efficiently. And here's a nice offer. Get 20% off when you grab your Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier sugar-free or any variant at liquidiv.com and use this code when dating hurts at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code when dating hurts at liquidiv.com. I'm Bill Mitchell, and this is When Dating Hurts, a podcast dedicated to my daughter, Kristen, and all women taken from us before their time by the epidemic known as dating violence. I will speak with authorities in domestic violence, law enforcement professionals, families of victims and survivors, and survivors themselves. Sarah's story was cut short when we concluded our first interview. She emailed me asking to add parts of her story she didn't want us to miss. Here is part two of Sarah's three-part story. I went back to the first message that I received, which was through Facebook, and it was actually on the 24th of January 2017. So that was the first contact that he made with me. And I always thought it would come through from a like a humor group on Facebook. It was actually from a singles group. All right. So that's where he found me through. It may have been a humorous comment that I might have had a reaction to. And that's why I might have kind of thought that's what it was. But it was through a singles group, just to kind of clarify that. The first six months, I think, really were not too remarkable. There were really some odd things that kind of alerted me to the fact that there was maybe some things to be a little bit concerned about, but nothing too much. This was like meeting his family. I met, got to meet his parents within, I think it was in without two weeks of meeting him. Like, And that to me just seemed really strange. You invited me round to their house for some food. But he was staying there, okay, at that point in time. And that's another thing now that I look back and think that should have been a real warning sign. You know, he didn't have his own place. But I was like, you know, I've met this guy. I was, as I said before, very attracted to him. I kind of believed that, you know, I want to change my life. I want to improve things. Okay. So I'm one of these people where I think you should kind of get a second shot at things. You should be able to have a, an attempt to make things better and change and improve. 
And so I kind of let that go, you know. So, yeah, the first six months, I think just to kind of go over it again, I guess, he was really kind of quite, what's the word, just accommodating around me. Like it wasn't, he wasn't putting up any challenges towards me at that point. But there were these weird things that I was was detecting. So, you know, he never had any money. He was staying at his parents' house. I met his parents very soon in in the piece. I kind of then understood that he didn't get to see his children very much as well. So he had a couple of children that were under the age of 10. And, yeah, I kind of thought, well, that's a bit odd too. But, you know, people have bad breakups. You know, there can be animosity. The ex could be kind of, you know, making that difficult for him. So I was putting excuses in place, I guess, around that for him. Mm-hmm. So the first six months, I guess, there yeah, there were alarm bells, but nothing too major, okay? During that six months as well, we, we talked about how he could potentially be coming to stay here, so move in with me. And he was trying to get me to go through a government scheme whereby he could get some rental assistance from the government, which would mean that basically he would be not needing to pay so much out of his own pocket. And I kept saying no. I kept saying no, I'm not comfortable with that. That's for people that aren't in a relationship. That's not the case here. We're actually seeing each other. We're being intimate and that's not the way to go. I actually found the piece of paper that he'd signed and I kind of just stuck to my guns saying, no, you'll need to pay actual rent to me, not through any kind of government assistance program. But that really didn't ever eventuate anyway. Like, yes, he did move in. And from what I can tell from my records with messages and things, it was about six months after I met him. That's how long it was before he moved in. So I guess that would be from the from the January, from when I met him. Yeah, that's the, the next time. So if we said he had moved in here by about July time, the next trip we had we had a trip um out where he showed me where he grew up he took me out to the place which is is still in my county here or my state they call it here but I don't know why he felt this need to kind of show me where he'd grown up where he'd lived with his family he took me actually to the church where I'm not sure if I mentioned it before but he was a a victim of abuse by a church minister Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. And I guess that was another one of the things that actually was playing on my kind of heartstrings that I felt that I could be more relaxed about some things and more forgiving because he had actually been a victim as a child from the church. All right. Just on that note, that he had always wanted to kind of pursue that, that he'd wanted to get some sort of justice not necessarily justice but something from what had occurred to him as a child because he felt that that had changed his path of his life do you think he wanted an apology do you think he wanted a big check he wanted both he actually wanted both and that comes into play that actually becomes really significant for me um down the track a little bit so i'll explain further But yeah, no, he actually wanted both and he got both. Can you tell us how much he actually received? I can. 
he got $400,000 is the amount that he got. Yeah, yeah. That actually became part of my exit strategy that I felt that I had to follow that through to get some compensation for him for what had occurred. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I was good. I was actually going to mention that just a bit further um, down the track, but that's fine because he kept saying, and it was a reoccurring thing, no one had ever done the right thing for him or by him. Okay. And by that, he meant no one had ever taken what he was saying seriously. So what unfolded around all of that was that the guy that was the perpetrator was actually in jail. Chris was victim number nine of 12 known victims. Okay. Yeah. And coincidentally, one of the victims was a female who I actually contacted on behalf of Chris because she was very much an advocate of people coming forward to you know seek some some justice and compensation all right yes <laughs> he could never really do any of that himself he definitely had ptsd and so it was all just all too stressful so all of that communication all of the organizing of meetings which we did we actually we met her i spoke to her numerous times the same with the lawyer i engaged mm-hmm. a lawyer for him around the sexual abuse that he'd had as a child and I did all of the arranging, et cetera, et cetera. I went down with him. He had to go to see a psychiatrist. This is part of what I kind of got to confirm in my head had been going on. So I'm sorry this is going to come across a bit jumbled, but the psychiatrist meeting was two and a half hours. Now, the amount of money this psychiatrist charged, it was something like $2,000 an hour. But the church was paying that. No. That was going to come out of what they awarded down the track. But the, the lawyer engaged the psychiatrist. And this is a guy, Chris was a guy who couldn't go for more than about 15 minutes without a cigarette. He was not allowed to, to smoke in that office with the psychiatrist. And I was in there the whole time and he never left once to smoke. So he could turn on a dime when he needed to to do what someone was requiring when it was going to be something that he wanted. And that, to me, was major confirmation of how he could just be so difficult unless it was about him, you know? He was all in. Yeah, he was all in. Yeah. So, yeah, so that was that was part. It it was kind of good for me to be able to see that. But I down the track, I kind of decided that that needed to be Because I'd said that I would help him do that, I needed to follow that through. And I therefore couldn't get out of the relationship safely, as safe as I could, until I'd done that. It was like a mental commitment that I made to myself. I would see that through, then I would be getting out of the the relationship. All right, so I'm going to backpedal now. We went off to, to where he grew up as a child and he showed me that church. I kind of... I'm not sure it wasn't a happy nothing was ever happy with him like wherever we went he was he'd become much more I want to say miserable but he was just it, it it wasn't like a how can I describe it when you have a relationship with other people right you get their personality with him it didn't really come across like that he was quite bland in his personality other than when it was something that was really going his way 
maybe the trip to where he grew up was about, I don't know, some sort of soothing mission for him. I'm really not sure, but it wasn't a fun time. You know, he was showing me these places that were associated with negative experiences in his life. And so I kind of, I took that as being, wow, he wants me to have insight. You know, he wants to share with me. This is really personal. It's traumatic. I should feel quite honoured in a way that he wants to kind of take me to these places. But honestly, I think he would have just taken anyone there, whoever he was with. I think it was just part of his process of kind of reeling you in that little bit more. That's my thinking now. So that was that was mm-hmm. the trip back to yes. when he where he grew up. And it was actually <laughs> not long after that, I realised that this was a big piece of work. I had taken on a guy who was clearly in some major difficulties in, in life. There was a I'd become aware from his parents that there was an intervention order around his children and that he had to be supervised to spend time with them, which was really only every two or three weeks ago. So he would have a break and then it would be, you know, three weeks down the track, they would come and stay with his parents for the weekend. So he his parents would go and pick them up, bring them to their house, and then he would want to go there and spend time with them. He expected me to do that. I wasn't that keen on his kids in all truthfulness. Like there were some issues there. I would watch him idolise his daughter and his son there was this weird behaviour where his son was just treated like he couldn't do anything right by him. And so I felt not good to be around them and that. And I think I mentioned before that his mum would let him like spend time alone with them, which was clearly in violation of the intervention order, not all day or anything, but they would maybe go off to the shops or out or something like that, and he would be left with the children. I just kind of realised that, hold on a minute, there's things that are going on I'm, I'm really not that good around. So I preferred not to. That was changed to be that I was trying to stop him seeing his children. I wasn't trying to stop him seeing them, not at all. I was quite happy for him to go and see them. But he didn't trust me what I would be doing when I wasn't with him. And during that six months was the time frame where I would perhaps be going out for a coffee with a girlfriend and he would just show up. I would be at work, I'd come out of work and he would be there. So I kind of got this sense that first I was I was okay with it. I was kind of like, wow, this guy really cares. And then I kind of went, my girlfriend especially was saying, this is not right, you know it's odd. He's kind of, it's too much. And I was like, oh, it's okay. He's just worried. You know, it's his anxiety. It's okay. I'm all right with it. You know, if I'm all right with it, just accept it. What I should have been doing was saying, yeah, you're right. It is too much. Why, why isn't he trusting me to go for a coffee? But that took me a long time to get to that point, you know, way too forgiving Bill for that. Really, I was. You accepted a lot. Yes. I did. I did. Support for When Dating Hurts comes from Sun & Swell. We all love snacks, but I just discovered Sun & Swell's organic, real ingredient snacks. These are the answer for health-conscious people looking for delicious, wholesome snack experiences. Elevate your snacking with great flavor, healthy products, and get this part. Sun & Swell has a real commitment to our planet. 
Here's how Sun and Swell has redefined snacking. Sun and Swell is the nation's first online grocery store that is offering plastic-free packaging. No one else is doing this. You could even send used packaging back using their compostable send-back program. It's the best of both worlds. It's delicious, 100% plant-based vegan products, 100% gluten-free, 100% real food, without added preservatives, and every product comes in earth-friendly compostable packaging. What's more, Sun & Swell is a woman-owned small business. It's also a B corporation, which underscores their social and environmental performance. If you're looking for a more planet-friendly pantry, shop Sun and & Swell and get 20% off site-wide when you go to sunandswellfoods.com and use my code WHENDATINGHURTS, all one word, at checkout. That's 20% off your entire order when you use WHENDATINGHURTS at sunandswellfoods.com. So after that, the trip away, we came back and it was after that that I actually, I started to go to a counsellor because I realised that this was difficult. I was having to be careful about how things were being twisted by him. I was trying to stop him see his children. He didn't believe when I was going to somewhere. If I was going to an appointment or something, it was like, well, where are you going? It was kind of becoming much more monitoring in my opinion, than like interest in someone that you know and what they're doing. And so I kind of thought, no, this is this is not going good. He, he During that time, during the first six months, he, he didn't work. He basically hardly ever worked. He didn't even show any commitment to be looking for work. It was very, very sporadic if he did get work. He would just do nothing. He would just do nothing all day. So I'd go out to work, I'd come home eight hours later. He hadn't even done the dishes. He was smoking weed, smoking weed. I don't know what he was doing, but he wasn't doing anything really that was either beneficial to him improving his life, which was, that was the line I'd been sold. I want to get my life better. I want to improve things. The other thing that started occurring was money. He was, he never paid, once he'd moved in, the rent deal that never eventuated. And it, and it became a bone of contention. He didn't want to pay it. He wasn't going to pay it. He hardly ever did pay me anything. He would borrow money. He was always, oh, I need $10 to get a packet of smokes. I've got $8 or something. Can you lend me the 10? And I'd just be like, oh my God, what we have here is a, a payment called the Job Seeker Allowance. So it's a government payment, which you are obliged to apply for a certain number of jobs to then be receiving the payment. I totally understand what that's about. Give the illusion you're looking. Exactly. And so there would come points where he needed to actually go into them to explain or to show what he'd been doing to get work. And so they became real stress points for him because he was going to be put on the spot. Sure he was. Ultimately, whenever he got any money, he was always paying someone back, which means he he was, you know, he'd pay me back if he'd borrowed $50 or something, and he'd pay his parents back. It was always a case of he'd get it, it was gone. These appointments were coming up. He was also getting paperwork to go into court. This, yeah, and this kind of unfolded gradually. Not sure if I mentioned it last time, Bill, sorry, but 
his mum actually gave me this pile of letters from the court. And these letters were things which um, confirms what you need to be attending next. With the process here, I don't know how it works in the States, I'm sorry, but with the process here, there's something called a, a court mention. So whatever the issue is, the court, it just literally gets mentioned in court. The next part of that process is a hearing. And so then you get to kind of have the opportunity for the issues to be put forward. So by the police prosecutor and the defendant's legal representative. I'd never been to any of these things before, never. I'd, I'd worked for the police previously back in the UK. I didn't know any of this stuff. And he was saying, oh, I need to go to so-and-so, you know, and I had to take a day off work and I had to take him basically and sit in the court all day. But the way I saw it, <laughs> naive Sarah, I saw it as he's drawing a line under all this stuff. This is all going to go away because we're going to get to the end of the bottom of the paperwork and it's all going to be done and dusted. That's his history. He's moving forward. Anyway, so yeah, so I was kind of getting involved in this system of where it, it, it was just odd. It was a really odd thing. To, I, I hadn't had this in my life. It was new. I kind of got this sense from him that this was just normal. This was just totally normal. And so down the track, I realized that, yeah, it was normal because it's probably gone on for pretty much his whole damn life, you know. Anyway, that was some of the other things that were unfolding. So I was kind of getting some good insight through various ways, you know, about him not looking for work, his drug use, the weed use. It was, it was weed that he was continually smoking and his lack of really showing me that he wanted to make his life better. I don't know, I was, I was getting much more of an informed opinion of, of where things were really at by all of these examples of things happening. But I still hung on to hope, Phil. It's a bit sad, but I still, I clung to this idea that no, this guy actually really wants to get his life better. During this time, there was one visit where he wanted to go down to meet his children at, at the beach. His parents were taking his children to the beach. I think at, the, at that point in time, it was probably around running out of his cigarettes and weed. That's where he would start to get really angry. I'm going to sound sympathetic to him, and that's intentional because I kind of know a bit what it's like now. He couldn't sleep. Without weed and without having cigarettes, he just, he would toss and turn all night and he just, he would tell me that he had these nightmares and all the rest of it. And, and like, I don't know how true that really was, but I could see that he couldn't sleep. And so again, you know, you get sucked into that. I'll try and keep him calm. I don't want him getting angry. He needs to sleep because otherwise he's just going to escalate towards me. And I, I think also towards the end of that kind of the six month onward part so probably the next six months so we're talking heading towards a year with him being around now he started to accuse me I would get accused of whoever I was in contact with you know I wasn't whoever it was it wasn't just an appointment oh no I was I was having sex with them from his perspective are you sleeping with them are you seeing them like are you seeing them as well as me it was just 
I was, I just thought this guy is, is, what's the matter with him? Like I've never, I've never done that before to anyone, but I kind of again, you know, I, I am um, explained that with his PTSD, and I should have seen that that was only going to get worse, and it did. You know, the next thing, like from accusing me of maybe seeing someone else or sleeping with someone else, it got into calling me things so um and these are swear words so swear warning um his favorite his favorite words were um and i hate this word sorry to use it bill but i really detest it is is cunt all right he that's that's one of his favorites the next one was slut and the next one was whore if someone upset him whoever it was whether it was his mum or I don't know, his ex, so the wife of, um, sorry, the mother of his children, they were a cunt, a slut and a whore, all right? And that was just, that became, that was daily. I would get that. If it wasn't directed at me, it was being directed somewhere. And it always seemed to unfold when he knew that he was going to be running out of weed and smokes. It just, you know, it was like this venom would start coming, permeating through his pores. And it would just be waiting for a target, you know, like who's going to who's going to just catch him at the wrong moment for him to start spouting this stuff out. And that went across all my messages. You know, I'd get messages from him, texts, I'd be at work, wherever I'd get I'd get phone calls. So if I was if I was five minutes late from coming home from work, I'd have like 10 missed calls on my phone. And that only got worse as well. Yeah. Like you couldn't ever. If you were doing something, you had to prove it 150%. You know, like I was out with a girlfriend one time. We were driving back from somewhere. I don't recall where. He was going off at me. You know, you've been off effing with someone, all the rest of it. And I actually got my girlfriend and me. We'd stopped at a a fuel station. And I said, oh, do me a favor. Let's just take a quick photo. And we took a photo in front of the sign, which had the name of the place behind us. And I sent it to him and that wasn't enough. This was in real time, you know, well, look, we've just stopped here. He knew who I was with, supposedly, but he wasn't having that on, you know. So all of these things are like incrementally building and building and building. And then towards probably the middle of the end, so heading towards a year, was when he started kicking and smashing and breaking things, okay. That's where I saw it kind of go up the notch. That was when I had the incident at the electricity on-off switch where we had the knocking of the arm because I'd turned the electricity off because he was just using everything to excess. He had no boundaries around anything. What was yours was his. What was in the fridge was his. Whatever anything was, like there was, there was nothing. There was no like consideration that you were the one at work you were the one earning, you were the one paying for everything, didn't, didn't, didn't enter his head. And again, to me, that comes back to a lack of respect. No respect for whoever's things it was. Totally just, just general disrespect. You know, even going out in town, like putting litter into a, a waste bin, oh, no, no, just drop it wherever you are. You know, I think you, you're getting a good impression now of how I've seen this guy go from kind of quiet, quiet and calm-ish to just foul-mouthed, disrespectful, not trusting me, 
getting physically angry with things, breaking things, you know, bashing my hand. And in terms of the physical side of our relationship, just going back to the trip to the beach now, we went down to a beach which was about an hour away from from where we lived, so in my house in here. He'd either run out of weed or he was going to run out of weed, but he'd, he'd agreed to go and meet the, the children down there with his parents. And I got in the car, and I didn't think it was too bad to start with. On the way down, I don't know what set him off. Something set him off, and he just put the foot down on the, on the gas. And it's a really windy road, all right? There's some hills between it's terrifying. Here, and, here and there, yeah. And I tell you, Bill, <laughs> look, I can laugh about it now, but when someone says they have a white knuckle ride, you know how you grip the, the seat of the chair? I was passenger and I, t- I didn't think I was going to get out of this car alive. All right. That, this was the first time I'd experienced this with anyone. And there is another time as well, which I'll, I'll tell you about shortly. I just sat there and I, I didn't speak to him. I didn't, I didn't move. I didn't say anything. And I, I was just, my eyes were just fixed on the road. I didn't want to distract him. I didn't want anything to make him take him, his concentration away because this is a really steep, really windy road. And you, so you can kind of imagine, you know, there's areas where the ground is really, really steep, windy. There, there are mountains, like, not too far away from here. This is going towards the coast and this road, honest to God, I do not know how I got to the other end in that car. I was just fixed. My eyes were just fixed ahead and my hands were gripping the the seat where my, my legs were. And I was just like, if I get out of this, I'll be just so amazed that I survived. Support for When Dating Hurts comes from Liquid IV. Hydration doesn't get enough attention. It's not just about people running around a tennis court or doing an hour of Zumba or body pump. Proper functional hydration is an all-day, everyday thing. And to help us stay hydrated, Liquid IV is the category-winning hydration multiplier. Sure, you can use Liquid IV before, during, and after playing pickleball, but you can also use it when you're starting to lose concentration in Zoom meetings or even after a night out with friends. One convenient stick of liquid IV in 16 ounces of water can hydrate you back to life two times faster than water alone, and you'll be getting essential vitamins plus three times as many electrolytes as leading sports drinks. It's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. My favorite flavor is golden cherry. It's one of 12 great tasting flavors that make hydration pretty exciting. Real people, real flavor, real hydrating. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code when dating hurts, all one word at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code when dating hurts at liquidiv.com. So we do, we get to the other end clearly. I get out of the car, Bill. I couldn't speak, right? I mean, he never wanted me to speak anyway. That was one of the rules, right? We don't speak. I don't speak because. He didn't want to hear it. I walked out of the car. I couldn't speak to him and I didn't want to speak to him. And I walked straight to a pub and I walked in and I looked at the bartender and I said, double Jack Daniels, please. And that was it. And he walked in behind me and I just stood there and I drank this drink. And I was like, I'm going to swear again. I I was like, fucking hell, I cannot believe I got out of there. 
I cannot fucking believe I didn't die. And anyway, so, you know, I had a, I had this whiskey and I kind of calmed down. And I was like, Jesus, I've got to get home from this. You know, you've got to recover from, from this situation. Anyway, the, the meeting with the kids, all of that does calm down, all right? You know, we, there's always these kind of escalation points. And then usually, whether he's slammed and crashed his way and disappeared into the distance, or whether the cops have shown up, or whether there's something else has happened to, to kind of alleviate the tension. This time, I'm pretty sure it was this time, where he, we were meeting the children at the beach and what he did, and this is just, I, it makes me feel ill now, it really does. We get to the beach, the kids are they're fine, you know, I'm kind of going along to just keep the peace, if you know what I mean. His parents are there, you know, I, I went for a walk along the beach. I remember just thinking, I just need a break. I just need to just be on my own, you know. And so I'm walking like, next to the waterline and I look across to my left back towards like the the um not the sea the other side I can see him and he's he's following me it's about 100 meters across and I'm going Jesus Christ I'm on a bloody public beach I'm not going anywhere I'm in visual sight 100% of the time I'm not talking to anyone and you still are walking and watching what I'm doing like this is bloody crazy eventually go back to where where all our, our things were I'm like you just got to get through and and that's how I became about a lot of things you've just got to get through the situation things calm down you know the parents help him with the kids and the food and and all the rest of it and I get home you know I'm just like Jesus this this is a wild ride this is this is out of this ballpark like to just go in on a car ride for, a, for supposedly like a day out or half a day out or something, feeling like you're not going to survive, that is just ridiculous. You can't go on like this. I've still got this forgiving in me where I'm going, it's okay. He wants to get things better. This is just a blip, pretty major blip. You know, you're okay, you know, things have calmed down, etc., etc. The beach trip that I'm thinking of that, oh, it just turns my stomach. So it was actually the same beach, and this is probably why I'm getting it a bit mixed up. But this was definitely meeting the children, and it was definitely meeting his um, parents again. He just had sex on his mind, all right? There's no there's no other way of saying it. I'm just going to be really blatant. And he was, to start with, he was trying. So we're all set up the same, you know, the towels, the bags, the food. He moved our things to the back of the beach a bit not too far away from where the children were. To start with, he tried to get me to walk through. There's lots of pathways through like the, the, the scrub and the, and the bush to kind of get from the road to the, the actual sand and beach. And he was trying to get me to agree to walk with him into the walking part to, to have sex with him. And I was going, no, not going to happen. You're here to spend time with your kids, you know. This is just so inappropriate. No. So what he then did, we were sitting down. It was right near the back of the kind of beach part. He set up these towels, which he kind of tied onto branches like bush, like not proper tree, like bush branches to, to give privacy 
And I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, are you bloody for real? But, yeah, again, I'm kind of like, you've just got to keep the peace, Sarah. You've actually just got to go along with things because, you know, he's only going to get angry. He's going to start creating chaos. You know, he would kick stuff. He would throw stuff. And it didn't matter if you were out in public. He didn't care. He just didn't give a shit. I kind of felt that I had to be, you know, I had to oblige to kind of go along with this and have sex with him behind these towels on a public beach, albeit at the back of the beach. But, like, seriously, like, this is just, I would never have done that. If you would have asked me 10 years ago, Sarah, are you going to do this? I'd have been, don't be stupid. I wouldn't do that. Honestly, the, the more... The more I look back now, I mean, I do see the funny side of it. And I, I think my sense of humour is a little bit warped like that. Like, it's just, it's the stuff that you you see on films and things. And you just think, that's just so bloody wrong. What's the matter with him? But it was that coercion. It was like, oh, you know, he would turn it on. He would turn the charm on. And so with the combine that with the fear of him, if I didn't do it, you feel like you've just got to go along with it pretty much. Another time, same thing, you know, he would, he would do this thing if he was driving, and that was another issue, actually. He would lose his licence. His driving licence was constantly being taken away because they would stop him and they would drug test him and he would show positive for cannabis and they would suspend his licence and then he would lose his licence. So I became his transport. Another time, driving back from another place, I don't recall where we'd been, he just pulls off of the, the freeway, finds a little country road-type quiet area, stops the car, and I, I'm actually asking, I'm going, what are you doing? You know, what, what, what's going on here? And he, his response, and he would say this a lot, you'll see. So that was another time. He wanted to have sex and, you know the way he got me to comply was by not telling me what was going on. Look, it was always about him. The other thing that came out, he, he was never paying any child support. He was ordered by the system over here to be paying for his children. He changed his address with the agency that does that here, and there would be letters coming through. At one point, he owed $4,000 or something in child support. Like, I remember getting the letter and he opened it and he would just throw them on the bench top. Like, it meant nothing to him. So this, this guy's telling me that, oh, his daughter, she can't do anything wrong, but he's paying nothing towards her being brought up by her mum. Nothing, not a dollar. And it was, it was really, like, conflicting information that I was getting. And and I guess now I can see that. I can see that that was personality disorder, right? It's not normal. You have children. We are responsible for our children. We we have to pay for them, for their upkeep. Um, it doesn't go far, the money. Like when you have a low income, they order you to pay a low amount. If it was $20, that's not going far. But even that, he wouldn't be paying. Anyway, that was just another part of the, the jigsaw, the puzzle. So, yeah, after I guess after the first year, it was becoming much more, the violence was becoming much more of a threat for me. Sexually, there were things I mentioned before, one of the things that he wanted to do 
during sex, he, he would put his hands around my throat and I didn't get any, I didn't get any strangulation, all right, but I did get him putting the th- hands around my throat in during sex. And I would just brush them off. I was like, I'm not having that any of that because if that if that goes if that goes pear shaped, and you are having a bad day, that's going to get worse. I think I was I was lucky that I kind of had that in my head. I wouldn't even have him touching me around there because I knew where that could go. He he had this fixation about. And I, look, this is not something I enjoy talking about, but I think it's important that if somebody wants to know about these signs that they get to hear, all right? He had this fixation with, with anal sex. Now, I had never done anal sex. I had no interest in anal sex. I had said no on multiple occasions. During one of these periods where he was kind of it was it was always a case of of managing that trying to advocate for myself with understanding the way that it could unfold negatively for me and one time he just he just he he was just going to have sex with me anally and that was it and i just kind of went i got to i got to kind of go with this i put up as much resistance as I could without actually saying no so like my body was as tense as you know I was curled up pretty much in the field position in in a ball like I was just for god's sake someone get me out of here you know it was it to me that was an unforgiven you know I'd clearly said no for that to then happen because he wanted it to happen but he tried to sell it to me, you know, oh, you you really enjoy it, you know, women really love it and all this stuff. Absolute bullshit. Absolute fucking bullshit. If you don't want it, you don't fucking want it, you know, because he was nagging me about it. It was kind of like, what's wrong with you? Like, you should want to try this. To me now, if anyone is in any kind of relationship and the boundaries are getting blurred or pushed too soon or broken, you got you got to be bloody careful. You've got to be so careful to not let them get more into your life because that is the biggest, biggest warning size. You know, ignore all the, the other stuff with the family, with the court stuff. You know, yeah, 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 I did all that. But when they start disrespecting things that are firm, 100%, I said no, you are in trouble. There is no two ways about it because that says... They are in control and they will do what they want with you. And that is, to me, that is massive. That's that's a no-going back point. I had that on various things, but not generally. You know, in some areas, I was able to maintain some sort of control, I felt. Not always, not always. So once that got broken, to me, that was like, I, I kind of, I think that was a turning point. And the other turning point for me was when I got physically hurt. And I'm not sure if I explained this well, Bill, but this guy, Chris, he has been through this system. He has had intervention orders by every previous partner that he has been with, including the wife, the mother of his children. Now, I didn't know that to start with, but I did down the track. I had one of his partners contact me on Facebook 
And she said, he is a narcissist. Get away from him. At that point, I was in that honeymoon honeymoon phase and I kind of went, oh, yeah, she's just a, a rattled ex, you know. I hadn't seen some of the things that then followed. I wish I'd listened. You don't listen. People, you want them to listen. They can't listen. It's like we get in this fog where you can't actually do the sensible things. You are so sucked in that your common sense has gone. Now I know, because I've done a lot of reading, I know that when we are in fear, your cognition, your, your, your reptilian brain is working, your actual animal instincts override any cognitive behavior, any cognitive decisions that you could make. You, you can't make, like, and, and this is another thing that really, really pisses me off, Bill. So at one point, one of my neighbors called the, the police. They always separate you. So he was he was doing the very compliant, quiet guy thing, you know, what's the problem? And I'm going, he was bloody this and that and the other. Da, 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 da. I look like the mad one because I'm so angry about whatever's just gone on because he's, he's broken, he's violated something, whether he's been smashing something or whatever the hell he's been doing. So the cops actually get to see the opposite of what you're trying to tell them. The guy who's the angry one is all compliant and the person that's been victimised is the one that's rah, 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 rah. The other thing with the cops, and this so annoys me, this so annoys me, that their insight to what they perceive the situation is. I so wish they could have, they could be put in some situations to see what they would do. And I'm sure they do with a lot of their work, but that's their work. It's not their personal life, right? They make the assumption that you are asking for some of it, you are putting up with it, and that you are in a position to make a cognitive decision around what you want to happen right there and then on the spot. When the cop says to you, how long are you going to put up with this for, Sarah? What are you actually talking about? Are you talking about him being angry? Are you talking about him living here? Are you talking about me feeling like he could kill me? What exactly are you talking about? But that's putting the emphasis on me. I'm not the person in the wrong here. I'm not the one that's had all the intervention orders. All right? I'm the one that you should be saying, what do you want to do about this? What would help you in this situation? And they don't, or they didn't with me, that's for sure. They would come, they would speak to us separately. He would be very calm. I would kind of go, okay, if he's going to behave, then okay, fair enough. If they ordered him to go away, he would come straight back anyway. He, as soon as the cop car was gone, he was back at the door. Now, if I knew how persistent he would be with some of these things, I would have been totally gobsmacked, I tell you. I really, intervention orders with this guy, Chris, meant absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. He's had him every day of the week. He's had him his whole life, pretty much, from what I could understand. So, yeah, I got an intervention order, you know. They actually issued it without my input. So the cops here, when they came out, it was their call as to whether an order gets put in place or not. So they take away your 
your input. And to me, in retrospect, what that actually did was put me at high risk because here he goes again. Oh, you're all like just the rest, you know, all the other previous bitches, pause, etc. got another bloody order. He didn't give a shit anyway. But the fact of the matter is he then lumps me in with all these other examples in his life of where he is the victim. That's how he perceives the world, all right? Oh, great, here we go. So now I've got an intervention order, which just kind of escalates him a little bit generally. Their thinking, the law's thinking, is that that's beneficial to me because it means he's not going to do this stuff. <laughs> he's going to do this stuff anyway. Like, bit of paper, yeah, right, that's going to change everything. Okay, so cops came out quite a few times um, for various reasons. One incident, he actually, I thought it was a, a whole brick. It wasn't. Um, it was half a brick that he had in his hand and he had it held up and he was wanting to throw it at me. And this was the incident where his parents were there. There were so many things like that that just got let go that really, had they have been documented, would have shown that he was consistent with his behaviour of becoming angry and then getting more physical. This concludes part two of Sarah's three-part story. Look for part three on the When Dating Hurts podcast. Thanks to my guests for offering their stories on the When Dating Hurts podcast. This is your platform where victims, survivors, and others who have experience with domestic violence can freely add what they have witnessed. Through these stories, although challenging to listen to, we underscore the prevalence and horrific behavior of abusers over their targets and victims. With knowledge comes enlightenment and empowerment. If you feel your story should be included on this podcast, please email me at billmitchell at whendatinghurts.com. That's billmitchell at whendatinghurts.com. Thank you.